does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Back from what I believe was a vacation, Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star. Greg, you were off last week, correct? I was off. I was off. Thank you, yes. That is quite the uh, week to miss just from a, wow, we didn't expect those news items to be trickling out in the first week of June. I would think first week of June would be a very smart week to go ahead and take off, but for a local market without a Major League Baseball team, uh, you now walk back into work with some newsy items on your desk. Yeah, and as an FYI, um, I picked. My, I'm taking another week off later in July, and I chose the two weeks I chose for one reason only. There's a there's a place in Whitestown called the Greyhound Resort, which is what it sounds like. It's a it's a boarding facility for greyhounds, and they're popular. They're awesome, and they get full. And I asked them like three months ago, when do you have available? They had no weekends available all summer, so like when in the middle of the week can I? Anyway, last week was a week they had available. I'm with my dad, and he's he's not doing great health wise. So that it was weird to feel guilty that I wasn't working because I had to be with my dad. I'm there with him, you know, in a rehab facility. But, yes, you're right. Things are happening. I'm like, this is the wrong week to be off, but, you know, it's the right week for my dog and for my dad. Certainly thinking about your father um, through all of this, Greg. Appreciate the time here on this Monday morning. Um, from what you gather on the Isaiah Rogers story, just your general thoughts on it, and then a question I threw to Jake a few minutes ago, and I'll toss your way. Uh, how much does name recognition have to do with this? Basically, how many Colts players would you go down the list that would not get cut before Isaiah Rogers potentially gets cut because of this? Not just name recognition, but, I mean, I know what you mean. You're, you're saying it all. I mean, the, how about position of need and position of no depth? He is their, possibly their best cornerback. I mean, that's how, I mean, maybe he's clearly got to start. That corner and he and he is their cornerback with the high, highest ceiling. We don't know yet what he's going to be. So yeah, I don't I don't see him getting cut for for those reasons. And listen, the Colts have have almost never. I mean, every, every team you put fifty three or or more young men, young human bodies in a building, some of them are going to screw up. And so the Colts have had some issues just because that's human life. But they don't go looking for people with issues. They don't explain it away. You know, so I, I want to cut them a little bit of slack. It, if and when they keep Rodgers. And I'm not saying they should cut him. I don't know enough about it yet to know. But anyway, long answer, yeah, his ability to play a position where they have a big need is going to help him out a lot. Otherwise, um, there will be people that, because there are always people, that it doesn't, it doesn't matter how clearly wrong something is, and this is not wrong in the sense that someone got murdered. I get it. But it doesn't really matter in this day and age how, how wrong somebody is. If you've decided that it's okay to do whatever, then it's okay for everybody to do whatever it is they're doing. So gambling, everybody, everybody cool does gambling. Everybody, everybody with a cool radio show and a YouTube show and an ESPN spot, and I'm sure you guys, you know, it's all about gambling, and I, and I get it. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's pocketbook, but um, gambling scares me. Not for me, but this is an example. Here's, here's a small example. Here's a little bitty window into America's soul that NFL players know. They know. And they've had a lot, a lot at stake. Isaiah Rogers, over the next 10 years, has millions at stake. If he can't stop himself from gambling on his phone, if he, if, if he can't do that from gambling on his phone in the facility, the only rules are don't gamble in the facility and don't gamble on the NFL. If he can't stop himself from doing that, 
if that's how powerful gambling can take a hold on some people, and that's what I think we've seen, it shows you what you need to know. Gambling is, is terrifying, and it's on, on our phones just way too damn easy. Greg, my opinion, I, I don't know any more than anybody else, but based on precedent, my opinion is that Isaiah Rogers isn't going to play in the NFL for at least a year and maybe two, and when you are unfortunately a fringe player, that becomes very difficult to, to, to come back from just because of the time away kind of takes you off the treadmill, so to speak. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And not only is he a, is he a you know, he's a, in some ways he's a French player in that his technique hasn't caught up to his athletic ability. So while he's not going to lose a step while he's out, you know, he's, he'll be – however old he is now, he'll, he'll be just a year or two older. And I don't think he'll be that long, Jake. I'll t- tell you in a minute why. Um, he's not going to lose – his key thing is his speed. He's not losing that. But technique, he's still picking – if he had great technique, he'd be a star, right? Because he's got – he's long and fast and fearless. He's got everything you need, but, but he went to – he was UMass. He doesn't have technique yet. And you can't get better technique sitting out for a year or two. So I, it's like being a hitter in baseball. Without the timing, you don't get better resting in baseball. Now, we don't know yet what he's done unless you guys know a little bit more than what I know, which is what I've read, which is I think he bet in the facility. And I, we haven't read he bet on NFL. I mean, how can you? It's, it's June. So I, I don't know. You know, we've seen. We've well, seen but, th- but this wasn't. This didn't happen in June. This was investigated. He. My understanding is he was made aware of an investigation in February. The initial report was that he bet on Colts games. Oh no, no, no! Is that what the report is? Yeah, yeah. Multiple uh-huh. times. You. Then he's gone. Sorry, you're gone. Yeah, you know, I mean that's, that's what I mean. Like I can't see him playing. The precedent, Greg, would be. And again, I want to make sure that we're clear here, Greg, to protect Kevin, me, you. I mean, this is all conjecture or early initial reports. None of this has right. been Which Rodgers did not debunk or decred. And is so I'll, I'll back this up, Greg, just for people that are listening, actually. Um, a week ago today, as a matter of fact, I got a tip. And, and you know, Greg, Kevin knows. I mean, we get tips a lot. 10% of the time it turns out and you go, oh, wow, there is something here, right? But this is not New York City. It's not a huge town. So people, you know, there's a lot of intersection amongst people here. So I got a tip from somebody saying, hey, there is a player on the Colts that is about to be outed for an NFL gambling investigation and the Colts have not yet been made aware of it. But the player has told people in his inner circle. And I'm like, really? And they said, yeah. And then literally by... Four o'clock that afternoon, it came out that there was, in fact, an investigation, and the rumor was it was Isaiah Rogers. By eight o'clock that night, Isaiah Rogers issues a statement on Twitter saying, "I'm sorry about what I did. I made a mistake. I couldn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to live with whatever." And then that report that came out. So so far, the report like is corroborated because Rogers has said, "It's me. It's me." And then the report said the investigation includes. What was it, Kevin? Like upwards of I can't remember the number of bets. It was about a hundred bets, uh, twenty-five to fifty dollar range. But that it did involve Colts games that he played in. Now Calvin Ridley was suspended for a year for wagering on games that included the Falcons in a parlay, but he was not on the active roster at the time of those wagers, as I understand it. Rogers was in the games in which he was betting, allegedly. People listening, there will be some, and so I'm talking to you. There will be – not you, Jake. I'm talking to them. There will be people listening saying, well, I'm sure he bet on the Colts to win. And he, and he probably did. I mean, he did. If he yeah, not, no, I think, that's, I think that's accurate. 
Right. If, if you ever bet, if, if anybody bets on their own team to lose, you can never play that sport again. But if you bet on the team to win, people will say, then what's the problem? He's just being confident. Well, here's the problem, and, and we don't know. We don't know. But Pete Rose bet on the Reds to win, but there were games he didn't bet on them to win. Correct. And That's what I've always so, said. In other words, he's telling his bookie, he's telling him something without telling him anything. Not that he's throwing it, just that with all my inside information, I don't think we're going to win this one. That's affecting things. And I don't know if Rogers did that or not. Maybe he bet on the Colts every single week. Maybe he did. Even though that's not an excuse. If he if he bet on the Colts, then sorry Isaiah, you're gone and you're not coming back. And 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 Colts, you know, I, I spent the last I spent thirty seconds earlier excusing them uh, and giving them, you know, if they if they don't cut them, you know, cut it for for gambling in the in the facility, you know, cut the Colts some slack that they want good people around. And I'm not attacking him yet because they haven't had the chance that we don't know anything. But if the facts of the case show Isaiah Rogers bet on his own team then his own team, I don't care who that team is, happens to be ours, better cut him or the culture your problem. But one more thing about all this is it just goes to show, again, what I said earlier, how terrifying gambling is. He didn't bet one time, like, I got a moment of weakness, I'm going to hit this button. 25 or 50, and which is, you know, in other words, it's too easy. And then he bet on his own team. The one thing he knows, the one thing he knows, has to know, has been told, that this could end your career, and he couldn't stop himself. And I'm not saying because Isaiah Rogers did it, the whole league's doing it. No, but I'm saying, and Isaiah Rogers is not a cockroach. It's an analogy. Where you see one cockroach, where you see one problem, there's a million hiding in the hall, in the wall. So if Isaiah Rogers can't control himself, he's not the only one. Greg, my thought has always been this. I mean, in terms of like when you talk about, you're exactly right. It's not about the games he bet on. If he was betting on the Colts, it's the games he didn't. Right. And for me, the NFL. The National Football League, let's be real here, and you tell me if you disagree with this. The National Football League can scream from the mountaintops that they want to preserve the integrity of the game. The National Football League actually wants to wants to preserve the integrity of the wager of which their fans want to put on the game because they know gambling is the driving influence that brings the peripheral fan base into the league. Absolutely, they, and they can't afford to have Isaiah Rogers screwing up. They, they need people – there's a lot of people – in this day and age, that might not even be football fans, really. They're just degenerate gamblers, let's be honest. And they, they follow the NFL and they pay attention and whatever they spend their money, however they spend it, because of gambling. So, yeah, you, the NFL has got a vested interest here. One more thing about Isaiah Rogers. I'm guessing he's not listening. Um, but I'm hoping somebody who cares about him is listening. Isaiah, you idiot. Um, you've got people in your inner circle that apparently aren't in your inner circle. Because good for you, Jake, for getting the tip. But someone in your inner circle spread the word to the point that it reached Jake Query's ears. So, Isaiah, you're an idiot. Um, whoever you think you can trust, you can't trust them. And, by the way, put your phone down, son. Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We appreciate him joining us here. Uh, Greg, this now goes back, I guess, a couple of weeks. But I did want to get your opinion on this. I thought um, – Zach Brown, the head of McLaren Racing, who you know, obviously we, we watch how their team has emerged here over the last few years in IndyCar, and I think if you were kind of bet on a team over the next five to ten years, they'd probably be one to to bet on. You were pretty aggressive in your stance on Zach Brown, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe not you know good for the sport or certainly is doing some things in a way that is not typically done and that's not in the best interest of the sport. Um, curious your thoughts on what Zach Brown means to the future of IndyCar with his ownership of McLaren Racing? Well, it all comes down to what you think about the idea of all publicity being good publicity and, 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 and really how far you as a consumer are willing to allow the sport you care about to stoop to get that attention. You know, it's, uh, 
there are ways to get attention that are good. They're, they're, anyway, so that's, Zach Brown is that guy that makes you wonder how – he's on that continuum. Do you care enough about your sport um, being, doing it the right way that you don't want this guy? Because he's stabbing people in the back. He's trying to steal. I mean, blatantly trying to take drivers. My story laid out. He's tried to do that, like things that people don't even know. He was trying to get – he was using the media years ago to try and get Scott Dixon, like away from uh, – I think it was Ganassi. Zach Brown, will, will, I'm not sure how low he'll stoop. We, we don't know yet. We haven't found – he hasn't hit his bottom yet. But if he keeps getting rewarded with great drivers and, and the, the, you know, it's going to keep happening. And, and one thing about Zach Brown, you know, money talks. And I didn't put this in the story because, um, you know, I knew the story would be – people would have enough reason not to like it anyway just because people don't want to be told, wait a minute, my, my guy's not a good guy? You're wrong. And you know why you're wrong, Doyle? Because he's my guy. Therefore, he's, a, he's good. Okay. What, I can't argue with you there. Uh, but Zach Brown's money, McLaren's money. Do you know who funds McLaren? Do you have any idea? And I mean, it's a rhetorical question, but do, do you know? Because I'll tell you if you don't know. No, I do not. Their money comes from Bahrain. It's just another example of they've got deep pot. Well, don't don't hate the player, hate the game. I hate all of it because their money is like the live tour. You've got deep pockets because it's coming from a place that we don't need to be getting money from. But you know, it helps us win. So let's look the other way. Principles are so easy to have. They're so easy to have until you got to actually have them. And then those sons of guns are hard to have. And Zach Brown's got no principles, and i got no time for that. I will say that Zach Brown, in terms of, Greg, talking to drivers while they're under contract, trying to pluck drivers away, conversations in back rooms about next year when this year is still uncertain, et cetera, uh, that has been in racing. And I'm not saying that makes it right. Isn't that in sport? In racing, that's every single team on the grid does that, and that's been since the beginning of time, right? The one thing for, and I don't know if it's McLaren, I don't know if it's Zach Brown who comes from a marketing background, I don't know if it's Arrow, but I will say during the month of May that you know I, I I'm I come from the era. I'm going to sound like the old guy here on, but I come from the era where I remember in the month of May going into every grocery store anywhere around Indianapolis, and it was ubiquitous, the Indianapolis 500 driver promotions and appearances and whatever else. And I don't know any team that does that better right now than McLaren, Aero McLaren, at least in terms of promoting, marketing, and getting their drivers out front. Um, there's no doubt that Zach is a polarizing rod. I mean, you are you are exactly correct in that, and I think there probably was no shortage of people to talk to in the paddock that would have backed you up on that, Greg. I'm assuming that there were probably a lot of people you probably had 50% that came up and said, hey, thanks for writing that column, and 50% that came up and said, you know, stick to ball and, and stick and ball sports. You know what I mean? Because he's yeah. a polarizing figure. Yeah, that, that's how it goes down. Um, yeah, I, I, that, what you're talking about is true. He And I wrote in the story, he's a brilliant marketer. Like, he was, a, he was an okay driver. I mean, he was good enough to be a pro driver, so he's obviously good. But in the world-class scheme, he wasn't world-class, I guess, at that level. But he's a brilliant marketer. And now that he's got deep pockets, um, he can do his marketing – and your marketing only works if you actually get names involved. So he does his marketing, and then he throws money at people, and so it kind of looks like it all works. It's a perfect storm. Another reason, really the reason, and I haven't mentioned this yet, the reason I went after Zach Brown, the reason, is I don't really – I mean, I care, but because I'm not an IndyCar, like I don't love it like I love, for example, the UFC. So I care about it, but it's not my, it's not my baby. Um, am I going to write that story just because of Alex Pillow? I wrote about – in fact, I wrote about Alex Pillow last year when that whole contract thing happened, and I actually took Zach Brown's side. And, and, and Ganassi, I basically said Alex Pillow 
his management, because you go back and look, he's represented by one person who, who represents like two drivers. So if someone screwed up along the way, it was Alex Plow. And so I, I, was, I had Zach Brown's back a little bit back then, but not anymore. But am I going to write this whole story because Zach Brown is, is flirting with uh, Marcus Erickson and, and saying, I don't know why Ganassi can't come to an agreement with Marcus Erickson. You'd think, no, I don't care about that that much. But what I care about is Indiana, and what I care about is Indianapolis. And what I care about is Whitestown, which actually where my dog was boarding, but that's a total coincidence. But, but McLaren came to a deal and announced it with Whitestown. that They're going to put a – I forget the number now. I think it was $150 million, some huge million-dollar facility that was going to have 125 or 200 jobs in Whitestown, uh, forward, forward you know, progressive jobs. And it was such a big deal. It was such a done deal that, they, that Whitestown put out a press release. And Zach Brown put out a press release, his, his company did, and they quoted Governor Holcomb. Like, this wasn't a rumor. This wasn't worth thinking about. This was, we're doing it. Zach Brown used the word commitment. This demonstrates our commitment to Whitetown and Indianapolis. Those are words that Zach Brown's people wrote. And then he just never broke ground. And then he found out through the grapevine, wait a minute, Andretti's, are, they're selling theirs. Wait a minute, they're, they're going to move their shop. You know what? Let, let's back off on this. And let's just be quiet, and let's not let's not issue a press release. Let's not do anything like that. We only issue press releases when it helps us. So let's just shut up and bide our time, and then we'll take Andretti's thing, and we'll just slink away from Whitestown like it ever happened. Do you think that makes me? Do you think that makes me think Zach Brown? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt anywhere. I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt anywhere. Great, Jake and I spent just a couple minutes on it last week, um, but we were hoping to you could kind of touch a little bit more on it here today with us. Um, we see that you. you your paper, the Indianapolis Star, part of, and again, feel free to educate the hell out of me and our audience with this, sure. going on a strike from Gannett, which is the parent company of the Star, in that removing bylines from your guys' stories. I would think for you in particular, I certainly know of people that literally subscribe to the Star just to read you, I would think your byline would matter a whole lot when I'm reading a story uh, on the Indianapolis Star's website or in the hard copy um, certainly. Uh, so just could you educate us a little bit and offer any opinion on what you guys are doing and your thoughts on it? Yeah, and I hope you don't mind. I won't hijack the show for the next 12 minutes, nothing like that. But but I'd like to make two different comments, and I'll, I'll make the first one and then pause and let you guys, whatever you want to say. And there's, there's two elements here. There's a big-picture element, and there's a me element. And there just is, and by the time I'm done, you'll explain that. But the big picture is it's not a – we're not using the word strike. Okay. You know, we're just not. We're, it's, it's a byline protest. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but it's a byline protest. Um, and people will wonder, well, why are you doing that? When we've not, for a whole week, no bylines. And I was off last week. Now, they asked all of us about a month ago, hey, we're going to do this, this byline protest. Are you involved? And they asked me, and like, yes. Like, and, and they actually, the Guild people were surprised. For the same reason you just said, like, you're going to do this? Yeah, if we're doing this, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm part of the team. Let's go. So why are we doing this in a nutshell is that we've had the same collective bargaining agreement for three years, and Gannett has almost refused to come to the table. Have they come to the table a little bit? Yes, but you know you can make it so difficult that it's almost impossible. It, it's not been, it's not been. They, they're they're being smart about it. They're like, ah, we can't come to agreement if we can't find a time to get it done. So for three years we've been on the same CBA. Imagine Major League Baseball, the NBA having a CBA that expired three years ago, no no, no pay raises despite the biggest inflation we've seen since I don't know the 70s. Um, all kinds of lack of protections. Obviously, people are losing their jobs left and right. We've done all kinds of little things, little actions. People will wonder, why, why a byline protest? Um, well, we've done a lot of little stuff, and if you haven't noticed, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but if, you, if, if no one's noticed, then that proves the point that it hadn't worked. This has gotten attention. 
Uh, we've had we had a byline session. I mean, a bargaining session last week that was just coincidental. It was it was just timed, kind of like I was off last week when all this news broke. It was just when my Greyhound Resort had an opening. We we actually had a, a session last week, and there was we, we feel okay. You know, we we'll see what happens, but we feel okay. Uh, so we don't know if the byline. It's it's kind of like in COVID, wearing a mask. Do you know the mask helps? You don't know, but it's a numbers game, and you you think it might, so you keep doing it, right? Um, same thing with the byline protest. We we think it might be helping. Uh, we know it's generating attention. The IBJ. Um, act local Axios, TV station, a lot of people, you guys, I mean, people are talking about it. Now, there's not going to be breathless updates. Um, so I'm not – day nine of the Alien Star Byline Project, no one's – there's going to be none of that. We've raised awareness. We've raised attention. We think it might be helping. So that's why we're doing it. My concern, um, Greg, and, and yeah. let me let me preface, as I said on Twitter, with this. I – my first job, essentially, in media, getting my – dipping my toe in the water was at the Indianapolis Star – I was an Indianapolis News and Star carrier when I was a kid. I have been friends with a lot of people at the Star over the course of the years and have always, with tremendous pride, um, been thrilled that I've been considered by some of them to be a little part of the Star family from way back when, when I was an infant within the industry. And I 1,000% support the, the unity of the writers of the Star and the work that they do in, in their efforts against Gannett a hundred a thousand percent on board and will speak on their behalf any chance that I can that said the manner in which to me and all I was asking was I didn't understand the intent and I get it it's got people talking and maybe that was the intent but my concern was this the problem with big time corporate America is that you've got a bean counter in whatever state that is determining the fate of people that that are working really hard in a totally different state because they own you know 150 newspapers. So if the clicks and the sales of the Indianapolis Star are the same in the week in which every article has no byline on it as it is the week in which the bylines are there, doesn't that force the corporation and the bean counter so far away to go, these people are interchangeable? What, what do we care who they are? It, we, we don't need people to see that Greg Doyle's writing this column because people didn't even realize Greg Doyle's the one that wrote it and they still bought it. So what the heck do we care who's who's doing anything? Re- get rid of them and replace them with somebody else. They're interchangeable. To me, that's my concern. I hear that. I totally hear that. Um, the, the question is, the, the, I mean, and, and you like to think people recognize quality. Like the, the, having a name on there, having not a name on there, it's fine, but the, the, the stories are not interchangeable. They're written by the same people. It's the same quality. You get rid of like, we've won one Pulitzer and should have won a second. We won a Pulitzer in the last three years, and it wasn't the Larry Nassar stuff, which is mind-boggling to me. That's one of the most important stories in the last 50 years. We we took down a serial predator. And so, anyway, I, I'm not bitching about not getting a, a whining about it, not getting a, what do you call it, a, a Pulitzer, but we should have two in the last five years. So we're not interchangeable. Um, as it relates to me, because um, it does relate to me, there, there's kind of like there, there's – the company won't run an opinion piece, which is what I write, without a name, and that's their that's their that's their prerogative. And I understand that because it looks like this is an indie star editorial, and that's no good. So they're not running my stuff without my name. With this byline protest happened last week, I happened to be off, just coincidental timing. It's happening this week, and it's continuing indefinitely. In fact, we put out a statement on our indie star uh, Facebook guild page. And we're going to be tweeting that out, just explaining what we're doing, kind of like what I'm doing here with you. We're, we're going to try to explain it to people because they might be if – if they've noticed, if they wonder what's going on, well, we, we wrote it and we explained it. Um, 
but they're not running mine without my name on it. So I had I've got two choices, and this this violent protest will go on for two for in, I mean I about to say two weeks. I don't know. It's indefinite. One week it's already been one week. This is week two. It could be week three or four. So in my case, my choice is this: I can either not work at all because they're not going to run my stuff. So it's basically I'm waging a one-person work stoppage because of the guild's action, and I'm a member of the guild. That's one choice. My other choice is to write with my name on it. Those are my only two choices. So break ranks with the guild, so to speak, and put my name on it, or do a one-person work stoppage, uh, which doesn't help anybody. So I, I'm writing with my name on it this week, told the guild they understand. Um, I've got a story up right now. In fact, I'm Brittany Griner and the Live Golf Tour and how sports is no longer a distraction. Sports is now a mirror. Go take a look and see who you are. But I, I do other things behind the scenes just, just so I to make be clear. So like that story I, I mentioned that we're going to post, we have posted, I think, this morning. Um, I wrote it and put my name on it and was not nice to Gannett. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a team player, and yet the rules are different for me because I write opinions. So it, but, Jake, your, your larger point is, I mean, it's, it's, a good, it's a good point. What's going to work, what's not going to work? And also it's such a big company, they don't want to give us breaks if it means, you know, some paper in, in I don't, I'm, I'd like to name a city, that, like Billings, Montana. Let's say Billings, Montana doesn't, isn't Gannett. I hope it's not. They're going to tell us we can't give you whatever you want, which is just a cost of living raise during inflation. We can't give you that because then Billings, Montana will want it too, to which I am going to, I'm going to hopefully try and get in the bargaining session in a few weeks. And I'm going to tell the Gannett lawyer, well, then you tell Billings, Montana two things. You tell them to go get a Pulitzer and go tell, tell them to take down a serial predator and tell them to do what we do. And, oh, by the way, what the hell, go tell them to get their own Greg Doyle. If they've got all those things, more power to Billings. Give them, give them that too. But in, in the terms of – as it relates to Gannett – uh, production, quality, everything. As it relates to Gannett, you know, it's Gannett is a football team. No, no, fifty-three players on the roster, and uh, we're Patrick Mahomes. No, I, I get it, Greg. I, I get it. Yeah. What I'm saying is, and listen, I'm not pretending to tell you anything you don't know. I'm saying this rhetorically, generically speaking, about corporate America, and that is when you work for a big-time corporate corporation that is based in a different city than where you are when it comes down to it you can take pride all you want in doing the best work and do it for yourself because you can and you can love your company and be a good soldier for your company and when it comes down to it some guy 1500 miles away sees you as five two three two five six and if your number's up your number's up and that's just the way it goes and i've been through it i've got i've got my masters in it and i'm just telling yeah. you 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 look back at everything else, and you're like, man, maybe I should have taken that vacation. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? The, here's the thing. Principles are hard, until, you, as I've said a million times, until you've got to have them. And uh, I'm not one of those people, despite what I've just said. Like, I, I, there's a lot, you know, I've had to have principles in the last eight years since coming here, and no one knows about it, and that's fine. But principles are hard until you've got to have them, which is why I cut no slack for people like Zach Brown. I know what it's like to have principles. I know what it's like to have money thrown at you. I know what it's like to – there's an easier route over here somewhere there and i know what it's like to say you know what that's just not the right thing i'm not doing it and i'm not doing it not for me but i'm not doing it for a bigger picture so i i don't principles are hard and we're trying to have them and we just would like to think that might meet us somewhere in the middle as greg said his latest on Brittany griner a little bit of saudi golf in there as well greg thinking about you and your father i uh, appreciate the time here on this monday oh don't, yeah we're gonna hang up before i start crying kevin thank you so much jake i appreciate you you're a friend of mine as well as long as those star people of course you know you are too kevin i'll talk to you later See you, Greg. Greg Doyle. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Pat Boylan going to join us here in just a second. Did want to make sure that we plug this. Coming up in less than a month, this would be July 11th. It is a Tuesday. We, along with all of our shows that day, are going to be live at the Back Nine. This is a really cool golf entertainment place just, just south of downtown right here. You certainly have seen it if you've driven in that area. Just, I guess, a little bit southwest of downtown for our fan golf outing. And it's going to be all proceeds are going to the American Heart Association presented by Franciscan Health. Plus, you got a silent auction that JMV will lead a little bit later in the day. 11 a.m. things get underway. But again, we'll be out there live kind of feeding into the main event. You can have a foursome, which includes three hours of play. You get a lunch, fan swag, a special gift as well. Uh, for your participation in the event. So details up on our website. That's 1075thefan.com. I just retweeted the link to that as well. So Tuesday, July 11th, kind of a nice twist on, on what would be a normal golf outing. Uh, been to the back nine. It is an awesome, awesome place. If you're downtown looking for uh, an event place for any certain, any certain reason, definitely check it out. I'm most uh, excited basically just to – I mean, the golf aspect of it is cool. I love – this allows for the golf enthusiast, but then also like someone like me, Kevin, like I've never taken up golf. So I'm always hesitant to get involved in a golf, a true golf outing because who would want to play with somebody that's going to slow things up and is way behind everybody else. Um, this allows for every everybody to be able to participate on kind of equal footing, if you will. Yeah, you know it's I mean? a fun event for all different levels uh, of golf. So, again, uh, Tuesday, July 11th for that. Uh, it's the Back Nine Golf Outing presented by Franciscan Health. Check out my Twitter page uh, or the fans' Twitter page for more info. Uh, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joining us now, he is Pat Boylan. Plenty of Pacers talk we can get to with Pat. I do want to get an update fever-wise. Pat, two and six on the year. It almost seems like, and certainly correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like they've been in the entertaining loss standpoint, though, of like super, super competitive games, uh, and then games just kind of get away from them late. Yeah, and when you hear that, some tend to think, oh, well, you're just maybe painting a rosier picture of moral losses and all of that, but uh, when you think of where the fever have been the last couple of years, and gentlemen, as always, appreciate you having me on here this morning. 
when you think about where the Fever have been the last couple of years, I mean, they've been at the very bottom of the WNBA standings. They've won five games last year in a 36-game season. They've been building the last couple of seasons with Lynn Dunn, the former head coach, now is the general manager. And she's been kind of building this team back up from the bottom. And where the Fever are right now versus last year, the record might not stand out at 2-6, and six, but – of their eight games that they've played, seven of them have been within one possession in the final two minutes. And this is substantial improvement on last season when the Fever had just 36% of their games that fell under the category of a clutch game, which is if you're within five points in the last five minutes. 36% of those games fell into that last year. 88% of them, seven of eight, have fallen into it this year. Uh, you're closing out with a lot of young players, first-year, second-year pros. So I think there are growing pains to be expected in these tight games. It was the case last night. The Fever let a five-point lead slip in the final four minutes, which was disappointing. Um, but on a bigger picture, on a larger scale, you've got the number one overall pick in Aaliyah Boston, who's looking very strong. Uh, the number two overall pick from the previous year, Nalissa Smith, who has taken a next step forward. And so I think from a building perspective, you're seeing exactly what you wanted to from the Indiana Fever in these first eight games. From a big-picture perspective, Christy Sides, the new head coach, will tell you they've got to close out better, and I'm sure that is the message in the locker room. Um, but from a larger prism, uh, the Fever, I think, have taken numerous steps forward here in the early going, and I, I think they've had the type of a start to the season that you would have hoped for considering how young this group is. And, Pat, my other question for the Fever before we get to the NBA draft with you, uh, in terms of Aaliyah Boston, you know, one of the things I read about her is that she may not be one of those players that totally jumps off the page at you statistically, but she's basically won and been a leader everywhere she's been and that that becomes contagious. Um, but it's difficult for a player to come in in their first year and right away establish themselves as the straw mixing the drink. Has she been able to do that? Is it very clear that she is the leader and that her example is going to kind of rub off in terms of that just winning nature? Well, I think it's very clear that right now she is a leader, which you almost never see from a rookie in any sport. I think that part of it's very clear. And also the poise that comes along with her. This is somebody that played at South Carolina, one of the biggest college basketball programs in a massive spotlight. She won a national championship. She won a national player of the year, two-time defensive player of the year. Um, and, and it's a program that has as rabid of a fan base as any. So as far as coming in as a rookie, and I think this is something that we sometimes um, forget, is a lot of these women come into the WNBA as four-year college players that have played in big programs. It's different than the one-and-done NBA player that comes in. But she has as much poise and as much confidence and leadership as I've ever seen at a rookie NBA or WNBA, uh, at least in this city. And I think you nailed that just in terms of the type of player that she's going to be. But she had a game a week ago in Chicago where she had 25 points, 11 rebounds, and a putback with three seconds left that looked like it was going to win them a game. But unfortunately, Chicago had a shot late and won in overtime. But that was a game where she was dominant, and she was dominant in her sixth game as a pro. There are also games where she may not jump out in terms of the statistical box score, uh, but she's impactful everywhere. She's, she's a, a terrific finisher. She has the top field goal percentage in the entire WNBA as a rookie. Uh, she's a very good rebounder, a terrific rim protector, a good passer. She just does everything well and impacts every 
aspect of the game, including some of her teammates, you know, players like Melissa Smith, who was drafted number two overall last year. She's finding life easier because Aaliyah Boston is on the floor. So she is as impactful on and off the floor, I think, as a rookie can be in any level of sport. And if you're the fever, this is a player, if not the player you're building around. And how she looks in a WNBA jersey and on a WNBA floor is massively important to the future of the franchise. And I think you would have to say by any metric uh, that she's passing with flying colors here so far. Pat Boylan is our guest. He's on the Payless Sugars Hotline. You, of course, hear him on the radio broadcast for the Indiana Pacers with Mark Boyle, as well as, as you can hear, the Fever as well. Pat, let's switch to the NBA draft side of things. Uh, I had said a couple of weeks ago that I thought the Pacers were going to do, that they really liked Brandon Miller, that they were going to do what they could to try to take a look at that. I think that they have resigned themselves to the fact that that is not going to be in play. I think he is locked in probably at going number two to Charlotte. I think they know that it would cost too much to move into the range to get him. So let's just say, hypothetically, the Pacers stick at seven. In your opinion, is this roster good enough that the Pacers can simply say, we don't have to worry about best player available. There is a specific hole that we need filled, and we're confident in our other areas, a la point guard or you know whatever it may be, that we are going to hone in on what we need, which is probably a wing defender. Can they simply go, not best player available, but best player for the Pacers at that pick? I think very generically I tend to lean yes on that answer, but I think part of it is because when you look at the potential pool, and I think drafting in this spot is pretty fascinating. The Pacers did something similar last year, sixth with Benedict Matherin, but it's not like drafting in the top three where you can simply just stay there, especially if you're in the top two this year. You can essentially just sit there and say, who do we like and who do we want? And we know we're going to get him. Or if you're in the third spot, we know we're going to get one of two guys. You can't do that. But it's also very different from drafting 16 to 23 where the Pacers were for so many years where you kind of say, look, we have to wait an hour to even have you know really any idea of what might be happening at our position. You can, of course, come up with forecasts, but that's a lot tougher to do at 22 than it is, you know, say pick seven or six. You're in a spot now where I think you can look at three or four guys, and perhaps it's quite as literal as this. I don't know. Uh, but you could come up, if you're the Pacers, with a list of four guys and say, these are we want one of these four guys if we stand pat. And you're going to get one of those four guys as long as you're being realistic with those four And so I think it's kind of an interesting spot to be in because it's sort of a middle ground between being at the top where you know who you're probably going to get and where the Pacers have been for so many years. And I think when you look at the type of guys that tend to be in that conversation, best player available, hopefully this is a positive. Hopefully we're looking back at this in a year or two and saying this was fortunate uh, where the Pacers were drafting. There just seemed to be a handful of guys in that position and the Pacers have had many of them to work out. So in general, I think that's the case. Although, I, I, you know, I think if you had a, a great shooting guard um, available, of course you're taking that. I think Tyrese Halliburton in the point guard, I think a true point guard is probably the only thing you're probably definitely not looking at. But because of the way, and at least as far as you can trust mock drafts, but I think when you're picking seventh, it's a little clear of a picture. Um, I, I think because of the guys that tend to be available around that, that tends to help that equation. I don't think it has to be such a harsh decision on best player available versus need. I think many of the best players available are in that area of Pacers need. Again, Pat Boylan with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. 
Pat, when you look specifically at the needs for the Pacers this offseason, I mean, I think Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle have been very public about, yeah, the 3-4 position, that you know, wing kind of stretch four, certainly defensive-minded, that is, is, is a of focus. What would you put second on the Pacers' need list based off the current roster? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I think in general, um, you're probably looking at the center position and saying, okay, you've got a couple of guys there in, in Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson behind Miles Turner, uh, where you, you're probably wanting to see what can shake out there. Although, again, if you get a top-level prospect, I don't think the Pacers are looking away from anybody. And as we just discussed, you're probably not going after um, a franchise point guard. And frankly, with what Andrew Nemhard showed last year, um, point guard probably isn't very high on that list. So uh, you maybe kind of draw a pencil through those two positions and say really anywhere else is area of need. And it, to me, part of the answer to that question is just how you define two, three, and four. If you're defining them very rigidly, well, if you don't need a three or a four, then maybe that next answer is getting some more depth at two. But I, I tend to, as I think most people do as the game has evolved, um, especially the three, four position tends to be kind of a floating position. I, I, look, I think you're after a stretch four, whether that's in the draft, whether that's via trade, whether that's in free agency. I think that's probably your biggest area of need. I think a wing defender is right up there as well. So that's maybe one and one A. But in general, more shooting, I think, is, is what 30 NBA teams are after. Wing defenders is what 30 NBA teams are after. And I think the Pacers are no different in that discussion. Pat, I know it's a hypothetical, so I apologize up front, but if you don't mind, uh, please entertain us here. Five picks for the Pacers coming up, 7, 26, 29, 32, and 50. If you were to try and move up from like 7 to 3 or 7 to 2, you know, we played this game with the Colts a lot this offseason in, in regards to their position. Would it take that entire draft haul plus a player? And, and, and what type of player? And again, you're not saying this player would be on the trade block, but what type of player would it take, do you think, to get all the way from seven to two or three? Yeah, these conversations are so interesting, but they're so challenging. And part of the reason they're challenging is because you hit a law of diminishing returns. You know, you see on, on Twitter, well, if you just – some people think that it's like a math equation, right? Like if you're trying to get a nine player or a, a nine out of ten draft pick on a one to ten scale – and you can trade a 7 out of 10 draft pick and a 4 out of 10 draft pick and a 3 out of 10 draft pick and add all those up, you get to uh, that 9 out of 10. It just doesn't work that way. And from a law of diminishing returns perspective, what I'm referencing is, you know, you, you, if you gave another team five draft picks, they probably don't have five spots to fill. And so they don't value perhaps those picks as high as if you were to trade each of them individually. And so – you know, this is, as you said, it's a hypothetical, and it's one that, you know, I don't really entertain personally a lot just because of the work that I do doesn't tend to involve what the Pacers might do on draft night. It tends to be more reacting and learning to what they do after the picks are selected. But just at face value, I would tend to look at that, and if I were in a position where the Pacers were second or the Pacers were third and some team was coming to me with 7, 26, 29, 32, 50, um, I, I'm, I'm probably still sticking at two. So I think it does take a player and, and what that player takes, you know, to be honest, you're talking a little bit out of my wheelhouse now, and I'm not totally sure what type of player I would think, but one of the challenges is, and, and you see this 
all the time with, with trade rumors that come up on message boards and on Twitter and all that, you can't make like a six for one trade. You just don't have the roster space for that. So I think in general, the Pacers are very, very well set up if they want to be aggressive moving up, if they want to be aggressive moving back, if they want to take some of their draft picks and perhaps move them into future years, which would work better for their roster. If they wanted to take some of those draft picks and move them for an established player. I think there are numerous, numerous options here. And perhaps those include getting to number two or number three. Uh, Kevin Pritchard is going to be aggressive in which manner he is aggressive. I think will be interesting to see. Um, I tend to think as you're watching the Pacers, they're more likely um, to move perhaps for an established type player or, you know, maybe a little bit more around the fringes. It's great to have three first round draft picks and almost essentially four, uh, but there's a, a, just a world of difference when you're talking about picking somewhere in the top six, seven or eight and picking 26 to 32. But the Pacers also know with Andrew Nemhard, you can get quality players in that spot as well. So I think in terms of the ability to move around on draft night, the Pacers, maybe behind like an Oklahoma City or something, might be the team that is best positioned to do something like that. I just don't know if it's going to be as dramatic as getting up to number two. But anytime you know, you're with the Pacers and you think you know what they're going to do, you're typically in for a surprise. So we'll see. Pat, I can't recall. Pat Boylan's our guest. And I don't know how much you watched of the individual workouts or the team workouts that were done for players. But did the Pacers bring in Jalen hood Shafino? Was that was he one of them that was scheduled to work out for them? You know, I, I believe he was, but I will be honest with you, these oftentimes coincide at the same time as fever practices or on fever game days. So the draft workouts are not typically I don't think I've seen I've his name yet. Yeah, the only reason I ask is because just generically speaking, I guess, but apparently he is if you believe these things, he has really helped himself in the workouts, and now there's talk that he could even go into the top eight. I mean, he's not a – I don't think that he is a skill set the Pacers are coveting, so I'm not trying to create that dialogue. I just know that IU fans are interested on where he might go, and I was curious if you had heard any of that same chatter that he has really helped himself. You know, I haven't. I think if you watched what he was able to do down the stretch of the college season, I don't think it would be shocking if that is, you know, the narrative that is circling – um, I, I don't know if, if he has been in for a workout. And like I said, these are, uh, unfortunately for me, not areas that, and, and typical workouts that I'm able to attend just because of what I do with the fever. So I'm not the most well-versed. And I will say this has been probably the most in-depth workout class the Pacers have ever had. I mean, they've been having a, at least a guy in every single day here for a couple of weeks. But, you know, as it relates to him, uh, to be honest, I'm just speaking of an area of ignorance I don't know. Um, when you watched him play at IU, I think it was easy to imagine he could have that upside potential. Um, as Kevin said, I don't. Now that I think about it, I don't think he has been in for a workout or is scheduled. Um, but I think he's certainly somebody that is is of interest to watch on draft night. Yeah, workout number thirteen today for the Pacers among the group uh, in town for that one. Oscar Shibway from Kentucky, the National Player of the Year the year prior to Zach Eady, and Marcus Carr, who used to be at Minnesota. Uh, transferred to Texas this past season. Uh, Pat, we'll end with this, going back to the fever, but tying it in, obviously, from a local standpoint. Um, I know it hasn't been a, a huge role for her, but what does Grace Berger start to her WNBA career look like? You know, I'll tell you this, it's so entertaining because 
it's almost a direct parallel. When she checks into a game, if you're not looking at the scores table, it's, it's almost identical to what would happen when Lance Stevenson would check into a game. And that's all, you'd, you'd all of a sudden start. Same to antics to follow. <laughs> well, at least from a fan standpoint, she's she does it. She's the opposite of Lance from a personality standpoint. But in terms of you could be looking the other direction and all of a sudden you hear a roar when there's a stoppage of play. And for a split second, you go, what's happening? And oh, it's it's Grace Berger checking into the game. And she, um, you know, night in, night out has started to play more and more. I think she's getting more comfortable. I think what a lot of people don't always realize is the seventh pick in the WNBA draft in a 12-team league is akin to picking, I think, somewhere between 16 and 22 in the NBA draft. It's just beyond the midway point. So a lot of people see the seventh pick and they think, oh, how could the seventh pick, the Pacers are picking seventh, right? Like, how could that not be somebody that you're throwing huge minutes at right away? It's just different in the WNBA. That pick is very different. It's oftentimes a spot where you can get an impact player, um, but typically it takes a little bit of time to get that player up to speed. And I think that has been the case with Grace, but she's wildly intelligent. Uh, you know, I think she's as smart as any player that I've seen come out of the college game. And, you know, I will just tip my cap to the IU fan base. And, and this is where I started the conversation, but I mean, she has such a massive following behind her coming into the WNBA and this is something that you know you don't always see at the women's level which I think is so encouraging to see is for a player like her to have a fan base like she does she's been playing a lot of the backup two minutes I think she'll continue to be in that 10 to 15 minute a game role this year which I think is a good spot for her it allows her to learn she's playing late in some of these games as well which I think is valuable and I think the hope is long term that she's an important part of what you do but I've just I've really enjoyed seeing the IU fans transfer over and I hope that continues to happen yeah again entertaining losses I know that some people might take that the wrong way but the last four losses for the fever by three four in overtime by five and then three yesterday to Phoenix coming up this week Pat will be on the call Tuesday at home against Washington at third or excuse me at Chicago on Thursday that's an eight o'clock tip and then back home on Sunday a little Father's Day matinee that's a four o'clock game with Atlanta Pat I know it's a really busy time for you appreciate you making time for us here on this Monday morning Kevin Jake appreciate it as always Pat Boylan right there on the Payless Liquors hotline